This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. guys, welcome back to Worth Your Time. If it's your first time listening, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Erica and I'm your host today. If you are tuning in from last week when I talked with Anna LeBaron, the polygamous daughter, that episode got deleted and I had to re-upload it. So if you're looking for it, please, it's back on iTunes. So sorry about that. I did have a little bit of a tech issue. Um, but welcome to this week. And this week, my guest is Whitney Athade. She calls herself a homesteading mama and she and her husband live off their farm in Virginia with their three kids, Quincy, Gabe, and Teddy, and they have a baby girl on the way. And Teddy um, is a girl as well, so they're going to have two girls and two boys. Now, Whitney's mission with her farm is to help you and your family live abundantly and make healthy choices with your time, resources, and food. She and her husband would one day like to live fully off their farm. Um, And in today's episode, we talk about what it means to live resourcefully, how it feels to give birth with no epidural, something I know nothing about myself, and how a libertarian-ish lady like Whitney fits into the organic scene. I love talking with Whitney about how she met her husband, how her experience with her mother's death brought perspective to her life, and what organic novices like me and maybe you should be thinking about when it comes to food choices. I love chatting with Whitney, and it kind of made me want to start my own farm. You might feel the same way by the end of this conversation, so enjoy this chat with Whitney Athade. All right, Whitney. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so let's just get into it about you and who you are. You are a mom to 3.5. You have one on the way, right? <laughs> you just found out you're having a girl, right? Yes, I'm. so I'm going to have two boys and two girls ages six and under. <laughs> That's awesome. I just watched your little video that you um, where you did the gender reveal, um, and it was just so funny because like one of your kids got really upset, right? He wanted it to be a boy. Yes, he was super stoked about it being a boy, but he's kind of he's kind of gotten over it. He's got a brother already. He's good. Yeah. Um. So, were you hoping for one or the other, or were you just like whatever, whatever? Uh, you know, it's one of those weird things. My husband and I actually, you know, when we were dating and talking about what we wanted to see in the future, and he was like, "I want to live on a farm, and I want four kids, ideally two boys, two girls." And I was like, oh, I've never really wanted to live on a farm, but I could totally get behind the two boys and two girls thing. I've always wanted a big family, too. And um, we've always hoped and prayed for two boys and two girls. And lo and behold, that's what we got. Well, God has answered your prayer. That's awesome. So when when are you due? July 30th. Okay. Well, coming up then. So hopefully this will be, yeah, this will definitely be released by then. So you'll be... You'll be getting really close by the time this goes <laughs> goes out to the world. So, um, give us a little background on you. Now, you're living. You live in Virginia. We know your kid situation. We know you're married. Um, but tell us what else should we know about you? So, I am a native Texan, um, but I always kind of wanted to get out of Texas because I love the Texas culture. It's a very strong culture. But it's also a very provincial view of the world. They, a lot of Texans think the world revolves around them. And <laughs> <laughs> having George W. as president for two terms didn't really help that. Nope. And um, I wanted to get out. And I knew I wanted to end up in D.C. and politics and what have you, and the D.C. area. So I went to the University of Virginia. Then I moved to D.C. right out after graduation because I knew if I moved home, I would never get back to D.C. (laughs) And I worked in kind of the conservative, libertarian, public policy, think tank world doing fundraising, got my master's um, from George Mason in public policy, thinking I would become more of a policy wonk, but realized that I had the gift of the gab and I enjoyed fundraising. (laughs) Uh Uh, So I kept with that. I met my husband up in D.C. off of eHarmony. I highly recommend it. Yeah, Harmony. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a match girl myself, so I, I totally am with you on that. 
Is that how you met your husband? Yes, it is. We met on Match. That's awesome. (laughs) I know. I'm such a proponent of online dating. It's great. I feel like it just cuts through a lot of the noise. It totally does. Yeah, you just get right down to it. Yeah, when you randomly meet people at bars, I think what finally drew drove me to eHarmony was um, I had dated two guys in a row who like liked me enough that they misrepresented their faith backgrounds to me. Uh-huh. And then I find that like one of them even went to church with me and then they both in, like they both ended up being atheists. I'm like, what? And it's like, and why I, even go there? <laughs> like why even start that way? It's like you didn't, didn't even realize. And so I was like, I need to definitely trim the fat out of what I'm, totally. I'm seeing. Yep. <laughs> so we met up in DC and um, he on our first date, um, this is worth noting for the evolution of our story. On our first date, he's like, have you ever thought about how much your food is taxed? Which I know sounds super wonky and like esoteric, <laughs> but it totally turned me on. I was like, this is amazing. I've never thought about it. You're like, way. tell and that, me more. And that was his justification for moving out to the country and like trying to grow as much of his own food as possible. Um, and there's health benefits too that he talked about, but that was like his his initial impetus. And now, was so he like, already doing things like that? Yeah. So it's crazy. Yeah. So he was already doing that before I met him. Okay. And um, then we started dating and we talked, you know, long term. And he got me reading The Omnivore's Dilemma by mm-hmm. Michael Pollan. I'm sure many people have read that one. Yes. It's a great place to start when you're curious about food sourcing and. I don't know, just responsible sustainability and your diet and all that. It's a good place to start. Um, there is some alarmism in it, and I'll talk about that. Well, hopefully we'll talk about that later. But um, it just got me thinking about stuff, and it led me down the rabbit hole. And I was like, okay, I'm on board with this whole idea of raising our family on a farm someday. But I thought it was going to be a ways off. Um, I, and then I just – my husband already worked from home. And I got this opportunity to work from home for the Independent Women's Forum while I was pregnant with my first child, uh-huh. which let's just give a shout out to the Independent Women's Forum. IWF. Woo-hoo. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they're, they're great to all of their pregnant employees. I can speak from experience myself. Yeah. And so that was an excellent opportunity for me. And as soon as I got that job, he's like, okay, let's start looking at farms. And, uh, we were really lucky to find this farm actually before I delivered my first child, but it, we made an offer. It fell through. But anyways, we ended up moving here when my el- my first child was only three months old, which is just like a total blur. And how old is he now? <laughs> he is six and a half years old. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. Kindergartner. And so we have been here on the farm. Um, I, I told my husband also that I had to live within 30 minutes of civilization. Yeah. And, and in order to be, you know, we had to get out of the DC bubble in order to afford a farm. And then, Oh, for sure. Uh, yeah, totally. But we were super lucky to find a um, farm on the outskirts of Charlottesville, Virginia, which is where the university of Virginia is, which is my alma mater. And I love that I'm, you know, 15 minutes from a target and I'm 15 minutes to downtown Charlottesville, but I totally feel like I'm in a country oasis. So there's that. So I feel like I have kind of the best of both worlds of town and country. Um, And, you know, my husband and I, uh, we've been here for six years now, almost six years. And uh, we have planted an orchard. We have goats, we have chickens, a pony, livestock dogs. I've dabbled with beekeeping, but that is very, Oh, that's that scary. Long. Well, let me ask you. a lot you, harder than I thought. Yeah. Let me, I want to ask you about that in a second, but I was going to ask you, so before you met your husband, had you been into any of this stuff? Like, did you just have like a normal diet? Like, did you even think about your food or did you really just make a full 180? It was like a full 180. I, I mean, I would say like, any girl in my twenties, I was like, you know, dabbled with dieting here and there and I worked out and I was definitely already into yoga. Uh And I think that that planted some seeds because the yoga, like the hardcore yogis, a lot of them are vegetarian. A lot of them are into this like responsible sourcing and sustainability. So those seeds had been planted a little bit, but I was, I grew up in Texas, girl. You put cheese on everything. <laughs> Vegetables are like an afterthought. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, 
my my mother was not the greatest cook, so we I was raised on a very meat and potatoes type of diet mm-hmm. and a lot of like convenience foods as well. So this made me rethink everything. And, and so mm-hmm, yeah. go ahead. And it's not and I recognize too, like you have to be you have to buy into this a little bit. Like I don't I'm not gonna I'm not going to force my lifestyle down anyone else's throats and I don't want to try and mandate anything or outlaw anything. Um, unlike some people, um, who are really into the sustainability movement or the whole foods or eat local movement. Um, I just want to share how much joy and health it has brought my, me and my family, Mm -hmm. um, in the hopes that it might make some other people like make small changes, um, small doable changes for them. And so when you read The Omnivore's Dilemma, what are maybe some of the biggest points that you took from it and then implemented? Um, well, it just made me question all fast food in general. Yeah. Like, just the ingredients and stuff? The ingredients. Like if process. you leave if you, mm-hmm. yeah, the processed foods in general. Like if you leave a McDonald's cheeseburger out for a week, it'll look the same way in a week. And that just was like, oh That's disturbing. God. That's disturbing. <laughs> And now on occasion, I have to say, I have driven through McDonald's and given my kids Happy Meals. There are times where there is just the rubber hits the road and you have a screaming kid in your backseat and, you know, like it's fed is fed is best. Right, right. Exactly. (laughs) So I, um, and also McDonald's due to the pressure of some of the sustainability movement and everything, like they now have antibiotic free chicken nuggets, which is great. And they have made some moves to kind of improve some of their sourcing. Yeah. But in general, it just made me think, like, okay, I need to minimize fast food and processed foods as much as possible. And once I eliminated it from my diet, I felt so much better. So and, what are what is the um, majority of your diet now consist of? And, like, are there any things that you really just know that you're never going to eat again? Ooh, interesting. <laughs> So, well, probably. you probably have a lot of foods in your diet, but maybe there are things yeah. that you really strive to incorporate a lot. Well, I eat more vegetables now. Mm-hmm. I eat a salad pretty much every single day um, and like a big salad that is majority salad, you know, not <laughs> not croutons. Like, not croutons and like a majority of Caesar dressing. Like that's the salad I grew up with or, right. you know, iceberg lettuce and some blue cheese. No. So this is like a legitimate salad with like homemade sauerkraut on it. And, you know, if I can source it from my, you know, from my garden, I source it from my garden and I try to eat seasonally, which is like a different thing, mm. a different concept that I had never thought about before either. Um, but if you eat seasonally, it's also like cheaper uh, relatively speaking. And then, um, you know, the things I wouldn't eat, I guess, um, Velveeta cheese comes to mind because (laughs) (laughs) that's what I grew up. I would mix Velveeta cheese with a can of Rotel and that's queso. That's Uh like Tex-Mex queso. And I don't think I would ever eat that again. It just sits like a, like a rock in your stomach. Yeah. And so you're, when you talk about eating seasonally, like you're talking about, like you basically are eating all the, all the food is you're growing that food in your backyard. As much as possible. Or I get it from, you know, the farmer's market or a farmer that I know. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I do, you know, there are things that I get from the grocery store. And like some of the tips that I learned and that I love to tell people about is that frozen foods are like frozen vegetables are and fruits are so much like cheaper, more accessible and healthier for you than the canned varieties. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes even better than the fresh stuff that you find in the grocery store. Um, just because it's flash frozen immediately, which preserves the nutrients, um, from the field and everything. So as opposed to like the strawberries that are in the produce section that have maybe been sitting there for weeks or like transfer, you know, from, picking to being, to being in front of you, it might take weeks to get there. So, yeah. So how much of you, how much of your food would you say you guys are like growing yourselves like 50%? I would say we're 50% during like summer and fall. Uh And we try to can a lot that we can eat during the winter and the spring, but 
we're not quite there yet. I need a bigger fridge and I need a bigger pantry. <laughs> yes. Well, as, so on your Instagram account, you said this in our email, you call yourself a homesteader and you rightly said a lot of people might not know what that means. So how would you define that? Um, basically homesteaders have an appreciation for self-reliance and we may not always do everything ourselves, but we like to learn how to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And we try to produce a majority of our own food. I feel like that's a safe, that's a safely universal concept with homesteaders. Um, so we have, uh, you know, we drink goat's milk from our own goats and we have fresh eggs from our chickens every morning and we try to grow as much of our own vegetables. And uh, then we have a cow share for both grass-fed beef as well as for supplemental cow's milk when we need it because my kids drink a lot of milk. Yes. <laughs> and then um, what else? Yeah. I well, know. I guess let me ask you this. What is it? about this kind of lifestyle of growing your own food and um, kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, natural living, homesteading, what is it that you love about it? Well, the food tastes better. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it's the freshness. It's probably a combination of the freshness and also like the work that we've put into growing it ourselves. Mm -hmm. Or even if we haven't grown it ourselves and I, I'm buying it from a local farmer's market, I know I've read enough and I've learned enough now that I know what went into getting me the, that produce and I appreciate it so much more. And, um, even, uh, I also love how we reduce waste. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, kids are picky eaters. They don't always eat everything I put on their plates, but it goes in a chicken bucket and we go and take the chicken bucket out every day and our chickens eat like Kings and Queens. <laughs> <laughs> Because they get my kids' table scraps. And it's when I, you know, I was just visiting my dad in Texas last week. And it was painful to me to scrape the plates into the trash can. I was like, I want to compost it or feed it to chickens. Like, it was just so painful to me. Oh, I'm um, sure. I'm sure, like, watching some of the habits that other people have is really hard for you. Yeah. it's, And I know it's just, you know, and that used to be my normal. So I feel for people. I really do. Um, but I get a lot of joy out of making sure that there's like very little waste and that, I don't know. And just knowing where my food comes from. Um, I also, am, you know, we just, I just in general like feel better, but, um, I feel really motivated because I feel like it's worth mentioning. Um, right after we bought the farm, my mother had kind of a precipitous decline in her health and we moved her here to Charlottesville. Uh-huh. And we only had eight months with her here. And she had something called transverse myelitis, which is similar to multiple sclerosis, but there's, it's, it's more rare. So there's not a treatment plan. There's not as much money going into research for it. There's not as many treatment options. And so, um, yeah, anyway, so she, we had eight wonderful months with her here and then she died pretty suddenly. And, um, I, you know, even before she moved here, I had, we would schedule her doctor's appointments for when I could go home to see her and go with her so I could be her advocate. Mm -hmm. So I spent like a solid 10 years being her medical advocate. And this is before, you know, I got into the, all the farming stuff and the whole foods and the natural living and trying to reduce chemicals and my personal products and my cleaning products as well. And I just look back and I'm like, oh man, what if, she was sensitive to the chemicals in her products, mm -hmm. you know, like, like, would that have helped? What if this was, um, you know, an immune like related issue mm -hmm. because they don't really know what causes some of these neurological conditions like transverse myelitis. Uh -huh. And, um, I don't know. I get a lot of peace of mind homesteading and trying to do my best to eliminate chemicals from my home. Um, because I, I naturally just feel better, but I also just like emotionally feel like I'm doing as much as I can to protect myself and my family. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of make, it's kind of like, you know, going back to the Bible, like your body's the temple, like that's one way to really treat it with a lot of reverence and respect. It seems like. Yeah. And they say, you know, and bringing that up too, just 
you know, my husband actually was on blood pressure medication while we lived in DC. And mm-hmm. as soon as we, like a few months after we moved to the farm, he was able to eliminate it because just being surrounded by greenery and the land and being outside, it, it's, and not having to deal with tra- the, tra- the DC traffic. <laughs> he like lowered his blood pressure naturally. I mean, nature is a great balm for the soul and gardening is as well. John says that gardening for him is like, is, is his type of communion with God. We, he takes regular communion too, but <laughs> <laughs> yes, well, <laughs> I, I can, see, no, I, I can totally see that. And, um, that, well, before I ask you this next question, I wanted to see if someone was listening and they were like, man, I'd like to make, you know, a couple of changes. I'm not going to move to a farm and like grow all my own food, but if, I, if someone was going to make maybe just two or three changes in their lifestyle, maybe in what they're eating and doing, like, do you have any thoughts on what might be good priorities? Um, yes. So one is you can Google a list called the Dirty Dozen. Uh-huh. And those are the, the produce items that have the most pesticides and chem- chemicals on them. So those dozen items are the ones you want to buy organic. And yes. then you can buy the regular bananas and the regular, um, certain lettuces and stuff like that. So, okay. so prioritize the dirty dozen. Number one, number two, I would try to find a source for free range eggs, mm-hmm. um, because they actually are, they're so much more nutritionally dense and they taste so much better than, um, the stuff you can get at the store. Yeah, you know, I haven't fully um, transitioned to those eggs that you're talking about, but I did make the transition at least from the very, very terrible eggs like several yeah. years ago. I Like I buy the expensive eggs at the store and it's definitely a step up. So I can't imagine how much better it would be if I got like the ones you're talking about. Yeah, so if you could find a source for them. Um, and you know, some people who are used to keeping backyard chickens will sell them for only like a buck 50 or $2 a dozen. Now I live in like a hoity toity college town and I sell mine for four or $5 a dozen depending Uh on the season. And so, uh, but you can get them for like $2 a dozen. If you find some lady, like nice old lady who's used to keeping chickens in her backyard forever. Oh yeah. That's like super cheap compared to what I'm getting at the grocery store. (laughs) Right. So you just kind of have to look around. Um, it's maybe worth posting on like a local community Facebook group or Craigslist to see. And, um, and then third, I would say, uh, maybe trying to just in general, trying to eat relatively more vegetables and less meat. Uh Um, especially if you can't afford, the organic free range beef and chicken and such. So let Um, me ask you this because I've never understood. I'm just not very educated, I guess, but like what, what's bad about eating a lot of meat? Well, it's, it's hard on your system. It's, it's your body is actually designed to have more fiber. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's like, it just makes your, your body work better. Um, I'm not a nutritionist, Yes, (laughs) but from what I've read and my own personal experience, is that eating more vegetables and prioritizing that is it helps fill you up. Heck, it'll save you money by eating right. less meat. Oh well, if, unless you want to buy the the hoity toity um, <laughs> free range. Unless you go buy your kale at Whole Foods, you're going to be racking up a pricey bill. <laughs> yes, exactly. But like, I'm a big couponer too. So like, I try to. You know, I was, I saved 40 bucks at grocery, at Kroger the other day on my groceries. I was really proud of that. <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's something to be proud of. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I'm buying, uh, my husband is gluten intolerant and, uh, we found that out by experimenting with paleo and slow carb diets, uh, when we first started dating. And, um, so I have to buy gluten free stuff. I buy organic for the dirty dozen if I need to buy uh, produce at the store and I buy the free range beef, ground beef and, um, the free range antibiotic free chicken. So I was able to spend $150, which I think is like a reasonable grocery bill. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For, with three kids, definitely yeah. reasonable. Cause you're getting all you're like just the milk alone. I feel like, and, and I only have two. So <laughs> yeah. Oh, but, but you know, but the milk is coming like we're not, well, we're not. Yeah. You're not even, milk, yeah. You're, you have your own yeah. milk. Yeah. Want to make sure you get every episode of worth your time. Sign up for my email list at Erica 
At the top of the page, you'll see a sign up button and I would love to get you on my email list. Um, well, okay. So I want to ask you two. So there's two things I want to touch on in the, on the, uh, natural side of things. Number one is childbirth. Now, have you had all natural childbirths? Yes. Um, I never thought I would be that lady (laughs) (laughs) and I want to be quick to like preface this, that, that like, you know, healthy mamas, healthy babies are the most important thing. But when I was pregnant with my first, I can't remember Someone recommended, I don't remember who, Ina Mae Gaskin's Guide to Natural Childbirth. Uh-huh. And Ina Mae Gaskin is a world-renowned midwife who's uh-huh. still alive and practicing in Tennessee. She lives on like a hippie commune where she continues to do <laughs> I've like definitely heard of her in my during my pregnancies when I'm like researching all yeah. kinds of stuff. Yeah. She's the only midwife that has an obstetrician. I can't say the word obstetrical maneuver named after her called the Gaskin maneuver. Okay. Which which is relevant because my first child was 10 pounds and he was big. Oh my goodness. And I actually had to do the Gaskin maneuver, um, which you can just Google it, but (laughs) it's for big babies. Like his head came out, but the rest of his body didn't come out because his shoulders were so broad. So I had to get in a specific position and the midwife hooked him underneath the arm and got him out, and that's the Gaskin maneuver. But um, sounds like yeah. a maneuver. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> but the yeah, so I had a home birth with my first up in Alexandria, and then I moved down here to Charlottesville, and there weren't any certified nurse midwives doing home births down here. Um, and I, like I said, I'm not like a militantly like natural birth person. I have a very healthy respect for Western medicine. And I just felt more comfortable with a certified nurse midwife who'd had both the, kind of the Western training as well as the midwifery training. And so um, when we moved down here, we didn't have that option. But I found an OB who was very supportive of my natural birth uh, plan. And I had my second and third in the hospital. And I'm actually still debating what to do with my fourth. <laughs> oh, really? And I'm 29 weeks pregnant. Well, it's, it's one of those tragedies of the of the insurance and medical system in general is that even my OB, my OB had retired who um, delivered my second and third child. He retired um, right after I had my third. And when I went back to him, when I got pregnant for this baby, the fourth baby, he's like, you really should do another home birth, Whitney. You're a great candidate. You're low risk. You've delivered big babies. You can handle it. But then I told him that um, it was like a 10x multiplier difference between having a hospital birth versus a home birth because ironically enough because my husband has really good insurance through his work he works for a tech company and they have very competitive insurance policies um, we would only be paying like four hundred dollars out of pocket for a hospital birth but it's nearly four thousand dollars to have oh my gosh so crazy how that works and it's the midwives all asked to be paid up front And I totally get it because the insurance companies are kind of finicky and unpredictable about how much they're going to reimburse. So Mm -hmm. they want their money up front and I want them to be paid what they're worth, which is that they're worth, they really are worth that. But at the same time, it's hard for me to justify a home birth when I'm looking at that price difference. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, and I live in a pretty affluent area. And so there's enough women around here who are like, oh, sure, I'll pay four grand out of pocket. That right. it's, it's, it doesn't, it's hard. And then there's, and then there's people, I have people who are not like really well off or whatever, but they don't, they're paying for all of their insurance out of pocket. So they're like, so for them, a hospital birth versus a home birth, the home birth is actually cheaper most of the time. So even though it's $4,000, they could probably save a thousand dollars or two by having a home birth instead of having a hospital birth Yeah, because they're paying out of pocket. So I feel like I'm in this weird middle place where I don't know if I can justify the expense, but I would love to. So anyways, that's neither here nor Well, there. no, no. I think it's interesting because I think there's so many – I mean, just when it comes to insurance, I am always confused by why and how it works. But um, in terms of the actual birth, um, you know, I'm someone who – has had two epidurals and would never do it any other way. But I know there are so many people that um, have natural births that have more than one. So they did it once and it wasn't so bad and they did it again. So I guess I'm curious, like, 
what is that like? Because I've, I've seen the documentary about it, like, and how it's like this, the most, um, you know, powerful natural high that you could possibly ever have. Was that the experience that you had? Uh, yeah, I would say yes. And the other reason I didn't, I got distracted, but that's okay. <laughs> the insurance thing. But, um, the main reason as I was reading the material, Ina Mae Gaskin's book and just other resources, the reason I got drawn to natural birth was that I actually became convinced that it was the way that would give me the most control over the process. Uh-huh. Because as soon as you introduce any sort of intervention, you're kind of ceding your rights in a way. Um, as soon as you get, and then also there's um, something called the cascade of interventions. Whereas if you get Pitocin to induce labor, you're like three times more likely to get it an epidural. And then if you get an epidural, you're three times more likely to have a C-section uh-huh. and um, reading those statistics and just knowing. And then also, even if you just get an epidural, you have to have the, the increased monitoring and things like that. And I just was like, I just want to be left alone as much as possible and let my body, I trust my body and the way God created me. And I want, you know, licensed professionals around me in case something bad happens, but this is what made me feel the most comfortable. And so, um, and then when the babies come out, yeah, it's awesome. I can walk right away. I can, I feel amazing immediately. Did you ever, (laughs) um, with your first one, especially what I I know, I'm sure you were probably mentally preparing the whole time. and, And I've heard that like, you must do that basically living up to it because, you know, obviously the pain gets so intense at times, but did you ever have a moment where you're like, maybe I shouldn't have done this? Um, so yes, <laughs> I actually had that moment when I, um, uh, he, he had, he was a big baby. I told you it was 10 pounds. 10 pounds, and yeah. I know the average time pushing time for a first time mother is two hours, uh, three and a half hours into pushing. I like, Oh my lost. gosh. Yeah. And he was crowning for two hours. I didn't even know that was possible. I can't <laughs> even imagine. Oh my gosh. And I just like had this, like, I wouldn't, I stopped making eye contact with my husband and my midwife. And I was like, I'm going to have to go to the hospital. I'm uh-huh. going to have to go to the hospital with a crowning baby in my like vajayjay. Oh and, my gosh. <laughs> and, um, and that's when the my midwife was so good. She had 25 years of experience and she could just tell I was losing steam and uh-huh. chutzpah. And so she's like, let's do a, um, an episio- a small episiotomy. There's just a little bit of lip of cervix left and this baby will come right out. And sh- I just needed a small, so I had a small episiotomy done and yes, thank the Lord, his head came out. And then we had a couple more pushes to get his body out with the Gaskin maneuver. But yeah, that was a scary moment with three and a half hours into pushing. And you know, but the thing is at a hospital, most of the time they won't let you go past three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and if I hadn't been crowned, I don't know. So I, it's hard to Monday morning quarterback it and know what would have happened if I'd been in a hospital. But some yeah. hospitals only have a two hour. Actually, back in 2013, the recommendation was no more than two hours of pushing. So um, I pro- might have ended up with a C-section if I had been in the hospital. Do you and think so, hospitals are like to, I mean, like, uh, are those rules I, I wondered somewhat about keeping schedule for everybody rather than doing what's necessarily hundred percent best for the body. Totally. I, you know, having had a home birth and a hospital birth, I feel I can see the difference. Like the home birth, it was all about me and my baby on my timeline versus the hospital. Like, you know, the OBs, especially they're and the nurses are managing multiple cases. They're managing multiple beds they need to make sure you get out of there in a timely fashion mm-hmm. and you sense that. Um, yeah. And so I, I didn't, you know, I felt like they were managing a caseload instead of managing me and listening to me. And so that, that's kind of my hesitation with doing another hospital birth, but um, you can have natural birth experiences, lovely natural birth experiences at the hospital. And if that's where someone feels more comfortable then by all means do a hospital birth. Um, I just know, I just feel pretty confident in my body's ability to give birth and, um, and feel, and I feel most comfortable at home. So that's why I want to be at home. Well, you, um, definitely are loving the mom thing since you're going on number four here. Um, are you, what do you love most about being a mom? What's your favorite thing about, about being a mom? Um, I feel there's a couple things. 
and it's going to sound weird at first to say this, but I feel like I become a better person. I'm motivated to become a better person because of them. It's a sanctifying experience. Motherhood is definitely a sanctifying experience Mm -hmm. where uh, I want to be the best possible version of myself for their sake, if not only my own. Um, And then I love just kind of just the intergenerational learning. I learn a lot from them just as much as they learn from me. And um, especially with my mother gone, um, I've started working on a book called Mama Hacks from the Homestead. That's kind of like everything I wish my mother had taught me, but she didn't teach me. Um, Mm -hmm. And also a combination of some of the things she taught me too, but she taught me more like, you know, she was a geologist and she was very cosmopolitan Mm -hmm. um, and raised me in the suburbs. And uh, so more of her kind of worldview stuff and like life lessons, but there's a lot of practical homespun knowledge that I feel like is really worthwhile at least being exposed to, if not learning yourself. And that goes back to like the homesteading thing as well. You know, um, I may learn how to, hmm, let's see, keep bees. And I tried for a couple of years and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to leave that to the professional. Did you get stung? I did not get stung. That was not my problem. I just didn't know that in my area, there's only a 50% survival rate. And so that means like the experts and the people who are doing well have more of like a 75, 80% survival rate versus like neophytes like me, newbies like me who have like a 25% survival rate. So it was just, it was hard. It was a lot harder than I thought and a lot more hands-on than I thought. Mm -hmm. Um, but no, I never got stung. It's weird. Or maybe if I did. So I did you put you put the suit on and everything and like went in and like that you did all of that? Yes. Oh, yes. that's so scary. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They never scared me. And it's funny because my husband's the one who bought the hive on an impulse, like a Kickstarter or something. And I was like, I was like, I thought you were like deathly afraid of bees. And he's like, Yeah. And I'm like, why did you buy this? <laughs> and I was like, okay, well, I'm gonna make I wanna make use of it. So I'm gonna I'm going to suit up and do the bees. So I did the bees for a couple of years and it was really fun and it's fascinating. And I would love to get back into it. Maybe when um, my kids are older and one of them expresses interest in doing it with me so we could spend more time on it. Um, Okay. So speaking of the mom stuff, you, you mentioned Mm -hmm. your mom a little bit and and some of the stuff that she went through, but I just remember um, seeing so many of the things you put up on social media about her. And then I believe that you found out you were having a daughter shortly after she died, right? Well, actually, that's, this goes back to the answered prayer thing of having two boys and two girls. Uh-huh. Um, we, we were currently, when she died, we were trying for number two. And I really wanted number two to be a girl. Mm. But it was a boy. And <laughs> I was like, oh, but we knew we wanted three or four kids. We, we wanted four kids. We did. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm Lord, I'm just putting in your hands. And so I was really, really stoked when baby number three was a girl and we named her, her middle name is after my mom. So her name is Theodora Lane or Teddy Lane is uh-huh. what we call her. That's my, so like, cute. I love that so much. And my late mother's name was Lane. So. Okay. And, and you, you, you know, we just had mother's day, so I can only imagine how hard that is for you. Um, what, what would you say maybe are some lessons you've learned since she passed or maybe during that struggle where she was having such a hard time? What are maybe some things that you learned in that, you know, through this whole experience that you're kind of taking with you and that you want to pass on? So, um, Definitely saying I love you every time you, every opportunity you get to the ones that you love. Um, cause you never know when the last time you'll see them will be. Um, and then also I, um, oh, man, it's hard. Uh, holding, I've learned a lot about holding space for people who are grieving. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of platitudes people put out there when people die and they, it's annoying. I, I understand that people want to relate and they want to say something kind and they don't know what else to say. So they just say, Oh, she'll always be with you or she's in your heart. Or there's a lot of other platitudes that I heard over and over and over again. But the most important thing was were people showing up and just listening mm-hmm. and hold and holding space for me. And that is just so powerful. And then also finding a community of other people who are grieving there's an awesome um, Christian grief support group called Grief Share, 
which is all over the country. And I did one of the, I did that the year after my mother passed. And I was the only one there who had lost a parent. Um, it was mainly like widows and people who had lost children. Uh Um, but it was, it was really interesting to go through it and talk about just kind of the universality of, because you feel so alone when you're grieving someone, but to know that you're not alone, number one, and number two, um, kind of the biblical response of we're called to grieve differently and that we have a hope and a joy that will come for, for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and that took me a while to reconcile, but I recently read a book called Defiant Joy by Stacy Eldridge. Mm-hmm. I highly recommend um, for everyone, not just people who are dealing with grief, um, because, um, it kind of talks about that difference between happiness and joy. Happiness is circumstantial, but joy is always available and it's yours and you just have to choose it. Yeah. And when you're going through the different stages of, yeah, when you're going through the different stages of grief, it's easy to uh, get stuck in the anger or stuck in the denial. Um, but being reminded that I have joy available and it doesn't negate my feelings of grief, mm-hmm. that I can be in the sorrow and also experience the joy at the same time is so pow- was so powerful to me. Yeah, yeah. And how you, you mentioned your faith a couple times. How would you say your faith plays out in your daily life? Uh, you mentioned earlier, you said uh, you had accidentally dated some atheists, <laughs> which I thought was funny. <laughs> Um, But obviously it's really important to you. So how do you see um, your faith as being a part of your daily life? And um, just how does that, how how does that play out in your life? Uh, Well, my husband and I both pray each every, every day to be good stewards of the land, the children and the resources given to us. Um, This is how we personally have chosen to glorify God is to try and show that we are going to take really, really good care of this little corner of the earth that we've been given and of these wonderful children that we've been given. And so stewarding is a concept that's really powerful for me and my faith. And, um, and then, I don't know, um, (laughs) just being more, being intentional, I guess, in Mm -hmm. general, I feel like my faith helps me, um, be more intentional with my food, with my diet, with how I spend my time, with how I parent, with, um, you know, yeah, how I spend my time. Yeah, so. just kind of woven in. Like, I, I mean, I feel the same way. Just, it's such a um, kind of innate part of all the all the things that I do that it's hard to kind of separate it out in any super specific yeah. way. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, okay, so something else I wanted to ask you about is you do essential oils, which is all the rage right now. And <laughs> I've gotten a little bit into it in terms of I've gone to um, a Young Living party and I've started to research it and I know um, that it's really important to be using the the um, like the hundred percent um, oils and not like any random oil that you get from you know a natural grocery uh, store. Um, so in order for those uh, for the oils to have like the full effect and really do what they're supposed to, so. So tell me what you think about um, the oils, why you're so into them, and what kind of benefit you found from them. Um, yes. So, yeah, it was just a natural evolution of this whole natural living lifestyle. Um, I have used lavender and tea tree oil from basically since I became a parent. It's, it's since I moved to the farm. And that's um, the one you told me to use for my allergies today, right? Tea tree? <laughs> uh, yes, tea tree. A drop of tea tree oil and a sinus rinse. Poor thing. I it, I used to get chronic sinus infections, for instance. Yeah. And once I started doing sinus rinses with a, do- a drop of tea tree oil regularly, I don't get them anymore. Well, you know, and that's used, the first I thing to- I thought of was oils this morning when I was in such pain or whatever. I was like, I, I want an oil. Like, somebody tell me what to <laughs> use. So... And then topically, I recommend lemon, lavender, and peppermint for uh, and diffusing for seasonal allergies. Like I carry a lemon, a lemon lavender, and peppermint in a ro- roller uh, uh-huh. because I have really bad seasonal allergies. Now I take Zyrtec and I do the oils on top of it. So like I'm not like a you're not anti medicine. <laughs> yeah, I'm not anti medicine. Like I just think it's like a great thing. I mean, I've been able to reduce my, like, I don't get, I don't have to take antibiotics two or three times a year for a sinus infection anymore because I use oils. Um, 
so I use less medicine because I use the oils, but it's not instead of, it's like in addition to, right. but I just, um, so I started with lavender and tea tree oil. And then as I just lived this farming lifestyle, I started questioning the things that were in my cleaning products and my personal care products. And Young Living has been around the longest and it has the widest product selection. I love their Thieves line. Um, the Thieves household cleaner is the only cleaner I use now. Um, it, I also sometimes use vinegar or um, baking soda for to make like a paste. Mm-hmm. You can like mix Thieves household cleaner with the baking soda. So if you need to like really scrub something. But um, that's the only cleaner I use now. And that replaces- I've heard that from a couple other people. <laughs> yeah, it replaces 409 and Windex and scrubbing bubbles and all those other things I used to use. It's like one cleaner. So that is, it's, it's simplified my life in um, some ways. And it's also reduced my use of chemicals and exposure to chemicals. And so I'm really thankful for that. And yeah, and I've I enjoyed using them for sleep support to get rid of warts and nail fungus and um, just to like make my kids be calmer. Um, I love using oils to calm them down and for emotional support. It's uh, aromatherapy has a lot of great uh, research done on it for those purposes. And there's even some retirement communities and hospitals now that are diffusing lavender and other relaxing oils um, just to help with that. Um, Yeah. So. Now you you meant this this makes me think like I've seen because you know you'll you'll see people pushing back on certain things sometimes like oh like like you mentioned ju- judging about the natural birth natural living mm-hmm. communities we were emailing about this um, and I um, and I love what you're saying in terms of you you know you want to do this for yourself and your family and it's your decision but you don't ever pressure anyone else to do it. Um, can you talk about that a little bit? Um, how, you know, you see people, some people in the more natural community pressuring others to do it, but then you also have from the other side, people that kind of almost make fun make of fun people. Of right, right. So like, where's the <laughs> middle ground? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think essential oils are incredibly powerful and I have seen awesome results from using them for myself and my family. Um, but, uh, but yes, you have to number one, be using the high quality distilled oils that, um, instead of just like the grocery store oils that have all sorts of other garbage mixed in. And it's the same thing. Like the, so a pure lavender essential oil from young living is going to be a lot more potent and you're going to see the effects versus, uh, a lavender fragranced item from whole foods. I don't know. You're not like, you're, you're not going to get the same effect. Yes. But yeah, there needs to be a, a middle ground. And I lament this all the time. And maybe I would be making a heck of a lot. I mean, I've, I I have a thriving young living business, uh, but maybe I would be making more money um, if I decided to go the 100%, get rid of all the chemicals, they're from the devil. Um, maybe I would be making more money if I was that way. But I don't think, I, I think it's, it, it's just another tool in my toolkit for as a mom, as, as a woman that helps me with hormone support, which helps me just manage my kids. And I've found it to be a very powerful, useful tool for myself. And I would love to like help other people learn how to do that and empower them to do so as well. But I'm not one to like say, you know, throw out your Zyrtec or throw away. I don't know. <laughs> well, what do you think like, when you hear like, um, you know, people proposing legislation to outlaw ingredients or, you know, make certain things a requirement, you know, the anti-GMO movement, for example. So, yeah. Um, so my husband and I actually disagree about this. Yeah. <laughs> he, so he and I are both pretty libertarian, uh, but he does feel very strongly that uh, GMO, the GMO issue is a property rights issue for him mm-hmm. because when you spray chemicals on your field or when you plant certain things, like you can't control those seeds, like the nature has a way of spreading those seeds. And so those seeds are going to go onto another farmer's field and, and start growing there. And you can't, so he, he looks at it as like a property rights issue. Um, I, I don't know. (laughs) I'm more conservative and I I don't think that we need to be regulating that. Um, It's also like, I really love a lot of the beauty counter products, but I would never be a beauty counter rep because they're actually pretty political. Oh, are they? Yeah, they're really political and they're wanting to ban 
about, they want, they want us to be like Europe banning like thousands of different ingredients in our personal mm. care products. And I just don't necessarily think that the regulation is necessary. I'm pretty libertarian about this. I'm like, let the consumers demand better products. Yeah. Um, and educate yourselves and everything. Educate people and just like vote with your dollars. Um, I don't think that this needs to be a legislative issue. Yeah. I would say that among uh, many people who have your kind of lifestyle, you're definitely are probably in the minority, but um, yeah. Well, I would like to mention, so Joel Salatin is kind of my husband and mine's like role model. Okay. Um, He owns, he is mentioned in the omnivores dilemma. Um, He is this outspoken farmer from Swope, Virginia. um, And he describes himself as a Christian libertarian environmentalist. Okay. Which does not sound like those things go together, right? Not usually. <laughs> yeah. So he finds, but it's, I really admire him because he gets speaking engagements from hardcore right wing groups where he tries to engage them about environmental issues. Yeah. And then he gets, uh, for the environmentalists, the far left people, and he tries to engage them on why we shouldn't regulate all the things and we, and maybe about, he even like mentions his Christian worldview, which I think is amazing. So it's uh, always great when you can get someone, you know, get somehow, somehow get someone that like swing, swings both ways and like get, get into a conversation that wouldn't normally be had. Yeah. And uh, to me, it's weird. It's like, I know we're in the minority, but to me, it's like the most consistent worldview. Like, you know, that we're, we're trying to be good stewards of the land that God has given us. There are some property rights issues where when it comes with farming that you want to deal with, but like to over-regulate it, it's one of the reasons why there's not as many farmers in America today. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's discouraging for people to get into that market now because of just all the regulations and the farm subsidies and things like that. So yeah. Well, that's super interesting. Well, I, I have a few end of the podcast questions for you. Um, okay. I wish I actually feel like we could talk for a very long time, but I am sure you have lots to do today. So do I. So yeah. um, what is one thing that you would like to do um, professionally or personally that you haven't done yet? And I have to preface that I stole that question from my sister that she asked on her podcast, but I love it. So um, what there is one go. thing that you'd like to do professionally or personally that you haven't done yet? I want to finish writing a book. Okay. How far into it are you? I'm like 25% of the way through. I have a full outline, but I'm only like 25% through with actual writing the content. And we, we, you and I need to talk like offline some other time because I want to know how you found the time. Yeah. Two children and a job. You're amazing. Well, I would, I would (laughs) love to talk to you about it. And are you trying to do, um, traditional publisher or self-publishing or? I would, you know what, I would have the peace of mind and I would be totally at peace with just self-publishing, but I would like to explore getting it published. Yeah, like what it takes to take the steps. Yeah. Okay. Well, I will, no matter what you do, I will buy a copy for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Um, Um, If you could have a coffee or dinner or a cocktail with someone fun or famous, who would it be and why? Brene Brown. Okay. Why? I love her. Um, well, first of all, I just find her totally inspiring. I feel like she is also someone who reaches out to kind of both ends of the political spectrum. Mm-hmm, definitely. And, um, she's also from my mother's hometown of Houston, Texas, and she sounds like my mama, which is just Aww. very reassuring and a very, yeah, I, I, uh, like, yeah. I, I, I always buy a paperback version of her book and I buy the audio book because I just love listening to her read the words. Um, Did you watch the Netflix special? Yes, it was. It was a bit of a rehash for me because I've like read everything. She yeah, I know but- <laughs> it was for me too, but I was like, but still it was good advice. <laughs> and it, and it, it excites me too, because I'm hoping that she's reaching more people through that. Right. Yeah. I'm sure a ton of people haven't read the books, but it's on Netflix. So yeah, like my number one recommendation, like the number one thing I take away from Brene that has been so useful in my life is to use the phrase, the story I'm telling myself. Yep. Yep. So I was going to say that I, I remember that all the time. I'm like, what story are you telling yourself? Because it's probably not true. (laughs) Yes. We make up these stories in our head and it's crazy. Um, so yeah, just talking to her, I would love to talk to her because she's, she's more of, um, um, her research is, um, 
qualitative instead of quantitative, but Mm -hmm. I would love to talk to her about kind of like the more neurological, tangible science uh, that relates to what she does. Yeah. Is what, you know what I mean? Like how our brains work. And yeah, so I'd love to have coffee and talk to her about that. <laughs> I'm with you. Please invite me. Yeah. <laughs> um, what is the, like a book that you've read recently or a book that you like to recommend to people? Well, we've mentioned Omnivore's Dilemma. Yes. And I've also mentioned um, Defiant Joy by Stacey Eldridge. Um, I also am a huge fan of Tim Ferriss. Mm-hmm. Um, my husband and I read... Um, the four hour body. That's how we ended up started with paleo, slow carb dieting, and then the four hour chef and the four hour work week. Yes. Like all of those things. I feel like he really inspired us. Like my husband and I both work from home. We both have side businesses in addition to like regular quote unquote jobs. And, um, I feel like a lot of people don't feel like that's accessible for them. And it, I totally think it can be. And I think Tim Ferriss is a great, motivator and, um, source of inspiration for people. What, um, what do you, do you still work in, um, fundraising? Yes, I do a little bit of contract work, um, for, uh, I have a couple clients, but it's very part-time. It's very part-time. It's more like I'm keeping my foot in the door to see if I want to go back to fundraising. Um, although my heart is really with the farming and the young living business. Um, I, I'm hoping to grow those beyond so that I don't have to. <laughs> Are you going to homeschool? I've been debating that. I uh, That's still up in the air. I told myself I was going to give myself the grace of getting through the first year of this last baby's life. So my eldest will be a rising second grader and we will either homeschool or send them to send him to a private Christian school or something like that at when we, when we hit second grade, because second grade is also when, um, oh, wait, no, it's third grade in Virginia is when they start state level testing and it just gets kind of bananas. In yeah. my opinion. <laughs> oh man. I've been hearing all kinds of stuff about elementary school and all kinds of things I need to worry about. Not quite yet, but, uh, I'm not looking forward to it. Let's put it that way. I know it's, it's so kindergarten and first grade, I feel like it's like very low stakes. Like, right. Okay. He learns to read or he doesn't. He, it's mainly there for social skills and interaction, in my opinion. So um, I get, and I just gave myself the grace of figuring that out. But it's something I'm still prayerfully considering. Uh, are you yeah, a podcast? A home homeschool. I was going to say, are you a podcast listener? Do you listen to podcasts? So I have some podcasts that I listen to. What um, are your faves? Um, I love what's the NPR, the serial podcast uh-huh. that I love. Um, the lively show. I yeah. Like. I've, I've it's, seen her around for the past you know, years on the yeah, internet. She's from, wait, is she from the same state as you? Originally, uh, or? I don't know. I just knew her through like blogging world. You know how I used to blog a lot. <laughs> oh yeah. 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 Well, um, she's really cool and inspirational and, oh, what's the other one I listen to all the time? Oh, Nicole sauce, um, living free in Tennessee. Okay. And don't know that another- one. She's a homesteader, so if this talk, if this podcast episode has interested in you, then you should definitely check out Living Free in Tennessee. Well, you've definitely inspired me to, me to go re-look up The Dirty Dozen, which I kind of know in my head, but I'm sure that I don't follow 100% and I need to, so... <laughs> Awesome. Um, Okay, well, that's it. So thank you so much, Whitney, for giving us a little peek into your life and the fun things that you're doing. I'm really excited for baby number four, baby girl number four, baby girl two, kid number four. Yes. (laughs) All right. Well, I, yeah, I will talk to you later. Bye. Bye. Well, hey guys, if you've been loving the podcast, if you're listening for the second, third, fourth, or fifth time, I would love it if you would head to iTunes today. Right now, just open your phone and just leave me a quick rating review. Even one sentence helps, uh, just helps spread the word about the podcast. It's just the way that iTunes, um, the whole iTunes podcast machine works. It's kind of a mysterious battle on how to get more listens and more people. Um, But I think some of these conversations are really great, uplifting. Um, I love just having great convos with uh, women who are doing great things and empowering them to do more. People like Whitney who want to offer so much to the world. So if you're here, thanks so much for listening. I love doing this podcast and sharing it with you. Have a great week and I'll see you next Tuesday.
This episode was brought to you in part by the Table Podcast at Dallas Theological Seminary. Listen to rotating hosts discuss issues of God and culture to demonstrate theology's relevance in everyday life. Find it on your podcast app. For videos and more, visit dts.edu podcast.